you have to kind of recognize your personal strengths and weaknesses. And I'll admit, I'm not a great property manager. Okay. I love hunting for the properties. I love networking. I love talking to investors. I see the big picture. But honestly, the day to day nitty gritty of operating a multi-million dollar business, which is basically what apartments is, isn't my forte. Welcome to another episode of The Real Estate Vibe. On this show, your host, Vinky Lumba, brings highly successful industry professionals to learn from their life experiences and how their mindset played a huge role in their success especially in building generational wealth with commercial real estate investing. By the way, this show is strictly for educational purposes and should not be considered legal accounting or investment advice. Please stay tuned. We have a free gift for you at the end. And also, if you like the show, don't forget to give us good ratings and comments below. Welcome to the Real Estate Wipe Show. I'm your host, Winky Lumba. And today we have on Zinadella with us. And Ann is the founder of Spark Investment Group. Ann has been investing in real estate for over 40 years and have created a rental portfolio that provides solid monthly cash flow and capital appreciation. Today, we'll learn about Ann's real estate investing journey and his secret of success. Welcome on to the Real Estate Wife Show. Hey, thank you. Uh, happy to be here and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with your listeners and with you. Thank you so much. Before we get started, I would like to ask you if you can share your background with us. Sure. Um, so I had a pretty typical middle income, middle class American upbringing, was taught to work hard at school, go to school, get an education, ended up getting a master's degree in chemistry of all things, and uh, then decided that that probably wasn't quite for me. So I went to work in my father's residential real estate brokerage in Menlo Park, California, back in 1978, and so started as a residential broker over 40 years ago. Wow. What was that journey like, residential broker? Well, uh, I was blessed to um, sell in probably the best real estate market in the world, Menlo Park, Palo Alto, basically Silicon Valley between San Francisco and San Jose. And of course, uh, saw real estate values 10x, 20x over the time I was there. And of course, it was an exciting time. People were coming from all over the world to Silicon Valley to kind of find their fame and fortune. So uh, I feel blessed to have been able, I was born and raised in Silicon Valley and was able to sell real estate there. And that kind of gave me a start. And from the income the brokerage created, I started investing. And um, one of the things my father taught me was while the brokerage can create income, the truth is financial freedom and wealth financial security is really only obtained through investing. So the trick is, is to turn the cash into investments and let it work for you. And I did it kind of the traditional route, single family homes, both in San Francisco Bay Area, as well as Austin, Texas, and a few other areas in the country. And um, so I sold houses, invested for over 35 years. 
And then in 2014, uh, Laura and I decided to kind of make a life transition, and we moved clear across the country to Greenville, South Carolina, which we've now been for eight years, and uh, our, our journey continues. Wow, that's great. But quick question over here. Uh, first of all, you know, I'm so happy to hear that you were at the good place at the good time and you did really well. So how was the transition from the residential space to the commercial state? And then when did you start that? Because now you're in the commercial, right? You're not doing residential anymore. C- correct. And and it's interesting. Uh, back after about 10 years in the residential sector, I... You know, I have a chemistry major. I love math. I kind of have a mathematical scientific brain. And about 10 years into my real estate career, I took all of the CCIM coursework, Certified Commercial Investment Member. And I was thinking way back then to go into commercial real estate, but I was recently married. My first child was on its way, Alex, my oldest son. And uh, frankly, I was a little afraid to give up the residential business at that stage of my life. And so I continued through, uh, you know, with the residential. And then once I moved to Greenville, that's when I started to get into the commercial real estate. And to a large degree, part of it was I had done the single family investments for 35 years. And honestly, I just wanted to do something different and learn something new. And of course, there are a lot of reasons multifamily makes sense, particularly today in our contemporary society. And so it just seemed like a natural transition to me, one that I had almost attempted 25, 30 years ago, but didn't complete. So it's almost like I'm coming full circle back to where I should have been, but life got in the way. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so once when you started in the commercial real estate, did you start as an LP, limited partner? Uh, excellent question. And I started uh, by two tracks. One was buying small four, six, 10 unit buildings, either by myself or with a group of buddies. We'd go in and we'd each put up 100,000 and we'd buy these smaller income properties. And what I started to do was liquidate my single family portfolio. And I would then trans you know, transfer that money into limited partner LP investments and multifamily syndications. And this would have been back about 19 uh, or sorry, 2020, right about the time COVID hit. And so I probably did six or seven LP investments uh, in multifamily with a variety of operators. And of course, As I invested, I'd have the opportunity to talk to the lead operators, get to learn from them, see how they kind of operate, get a feel for the business. So bought a few small units, started making LP investments, and it kind of went from there. Great. So once you started investing as an LP in the commercial real estate or the multifamily, what was your strategy to work the sponsors? Because since you already have a you know strong background in real estate being in the residential space, so was that easy for you to with the sponsors or is it like some tricks or techniques that you can share 
with our audience, you know, how to vet the sponsors? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And um, I don't think there's any one right answer. Um so number one, I think, does the sponsor have a track record in a particular market? So I think that's very important. So if there's a sponsor who has done five deals in Dallas-Fort Worth and now has an opportunity, another opportunity in Dallas-Fort Worth, one can assume from the operation of five assets in Dallas-Fort Worth, they probably have a pretty good handle of the market. So do they have they done deals in the market that their deals are in now? Do they know that local market from firsthand experience? Then I'd also kind of look at what type of properties do they normally do? Are they kind of class A core plus syndicators? And that's the kind of property they know. That's the tenant base they know. Or are they more workforce housing? class C value add operators. And one isn't better than the other. It's just if you have a class A operator who's done five class A deals and now he's doing a class C, he may or she, he or she may not have that same experience. So location, the same type asset class. And then I think to a certain degree, as human beings, we've developed an instinct. When we talk to people, do we trust them? Does what they say make sense? Based on my life experience and my investing experience, is what the operator telling me makes sense, right? And sometimes you'll talk to people and you'll be going, yes, that makes sense. And yes, I understand that. And that, yes. And other times you may be going, well, wait a second, that doesn't quite jive with my life experience. So I think to a certain degree, you have to, you know, kind of rely on your gut instinct about the operator because at the end of the day, as an LP investor, you're trusting your hard-earned money with somebody, and you need to have a sense, a, a belief in that person that they were a character integrity and you could trust them. So I think those are the three things I primarily looked at. Yeah. So when did you start this company, Spark Investment Group? I say I started it probably like June or July of 2020. So I kind of hit the ground running. And once I kind of got a taste of it, uh, it felt good, you know, when when you're doing something that feels right, the energy kind of comes, right? You know, you feel passionate about it. That's how you know you're on the right track. And I could just tell that I was enjoying it. I love listening to podcasts like yours. And that's a great way to get to know the operators, too. You hear them, you listen to them, you hear them interact with other people. Um, so, um, I kind of jumped full, full feet in and what I started to do is I knew I could raise capital. I had worked with investors prior, uh, did a lot of fix and flips when I first got to Greenville. Um, so as I would talk to operators, I would just say, Hey, I'd like to kind of get in the active side. I think I can raise some capital. And if down the road you have a deal that you think you need a little help with, please let me know. I'll be happy to try to raise some capital for you. 
So on one such conversation, maybe 30 days later, the operator reached out to me and say, hey, we got a deal in Augusta, Georgia, which is about two hours from where I live. And I said, great, Uh, went down there, met the team, did the due diligence and kind of did my first raise. And so that kind of gave me a springboard um, into the active side of the business. And that's how I kind of transitioned from LP into GP. Wow. So share with me uh, what was the experience like during your first race? Was that that easy since you had the experience before with fix and flip? Or how different was it raising for fix and flip versus raising for a syndication deal? Yes. Great question. And it was harder than I thought. Okay. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because I had done a lot of fix and flips. I had worked with a lot of investors on single family kind of long-term buy and hold rentals. And I just figured, oh, well, they know Arn. They know Arn knows what he's doing. They like Arn. So they're just going to follow me over to multifamily. But of course, each investor is different. And with a fix and flip investor, they're looking to put their money in and they want to get it back in six months. It's a much shorter time period. So a fix and flip investor probably isn't going to be as interested in a three to five year multifamily hold. So the truth is most of my fix and flip investors did not follow me into multifamily, which was a surprise. Um, But there are so many good, solid arguments about multifamily investing, housing affordability. uh, There's a lack of housing, uh, economies of scale, professional property management. uh, And we're becoming a more mobile society, right? More people see their life in five different spots across the world in 10 years, as opposed to 30 years ago, people would buy a house and raise their family and live there 30 years. And that was the dream. Today, the dream might be to live in Thailand one year and Denmark the next. So there are a lot of fundamental factors that make great sense for multifamily. And so Over time, I was able to educate my investors, find new ones, but also bring others onto the multifamily thing. And the other thing is they saw that I was actually doing it with my own capital. And so, you know, you kind of build up a little bit of momentum around it. So you said a very good thing that you educate your investors. So please share with me. What kind of tools that you use to educate your investors or what kind of information you share with them to build that trust relationship or uh, give them the confidence that this is a path that's worked for you and it's going to work for them? Yes. So uh, excellent question. So, you know, I have a website. I have a blog. I do a lot of podcasts. I send out monthly newsletters. I'm active on social media. And then, of course, I'm always available for a phone call. And um, unlike many operators who kind of work all over the country, I'm fairly geographically focused in the Carolinas. I don't really like to fly. I'd rather drive. And uh, it's easier to kind of get to know the market. So a lot of my people are actually local 
And so I'm always happy to meet up with them for lunch or dinner, coffee, have a beer. And you get to sit down face to face with people after you've kind of built that initial connection online, then you can take it kind of face to face. And that's where I think you can really make some headway uh, with people and kind of developing a bond and a rapport. So now you earlier you were telling me now you're a GP or a lead sponsor in three deals. So can you share with me how did you transition into this the lead sponsor role or how hard was it? Yes, yes. So um so I had been looking maybe for a year or two for a bigger asset to buy, uh, still sub 100 units. uh, And I'd been developing relationships with local brokers here in the Greenville area and elsewhere in the Carolinas. And so I would constantly kind of hound them nicely. You got any property? What could I come take a look? And as you know, it takes some time to kind of earn your street cred with the brokers, right, to do the credibility. And they knew I had closed a few small deals in the area. So that added a little bit of credibility to my efforts. Um, one thing that was holding me back, we always talk about multifamilies, a team sport. And uh, you have to kind of recognize your personal strengths and weaknesses. And I'll admit, I'm not a great property manager, okay? I love hunting for the properties. I love networking. I love talking to investors. I see the big picture. But honestly, the day-to-day nitty-gritty of operating a multi-million dollar business, which is basically what apartments is, isn't my forte. So I had a friend in Greenville here who was managing my residential properties, and he's younger than me, and he comes up from the construction industry, so he kind of knows everything soup to nuts. And I'd been after him for about two years. Brian, come on, join me on multifamily. I can handle the syndication. I just need you to run the asset. And finally, I was able to get him to come on board. And I needed him to come on board so I knew I had the right person in place to operate the asset. Once I knew that, then I felt free to be more aggressive about going after deals And I happened to be working with a small boutique brokerage here in Greenville. And they said, hey, we've got a 43-unit deal here in Greenville. They gave me a look at it. I got first look. I paid them what they want. And uh, that was the first one. And then they're off and running. And then within 12 months, I had completed two others. So finding the first one is often very difficult. You also have to make sure you have the right team in place. And when I found Brian, I felt we had what was needed to really do the deal 100%. And then, of course, as you complete deals, confidence grows. And I'm a firm believer that you learn best by doing. And so the amount that I learned in the first deal, and it went relatively smoothly, was phenomenal. And you don't really have an idea of all the moving parts you got to kind of bring together right at the exact time to get it closed. You've got your physical due diligence, you got your loan, you got your SEC paperwork. 
you've got your financing, you have to raise capital. And so you have all of these balls up in the air at the same time. And trust me, there can be times it gets a little nerve wracking. And there might be days when I was a little down and Brian would pick me up or vice versa. So um, that's how it kind of came together when I found my right partner and uh, uh, we closed it. And since then, we've been off and running. Uh, I think this is all the things that you have shared is very valuable. Team is must because uh got to have a strong, strong team, you know, to excel in whatever you're doing. And the experience, because every experience counts because you learn from every experience. And then the next time you're mitigating the gaps, whatever you found or whatever the challenges you went through, kind of fine tuning each time that you're going to the next deal, which you were doing. So I'm going to ask you one question. You were saying you wanted to go look for the deals because you're looking for a partner who can take care of the property management side or the asset management portion for you, and then you can go look for more properties. So what tools, techniques that you use to figure out that this is a good location, this is a good property versus a bad property? Yeah, so that that's an interesting question. Um, I may not be quite as data-driven as many people. So I'm an old school guy. I've been doing this for 40 years. And so while the data is important, um, there's also a qualitative aspect to real estate, either the location or the building. Uh, so there's a qualitative aspect that also has to be considered in the evaluation as well as the numbers. And um, by living in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a very booming economy, a, a very booming town. So I kind of just, I didn't move to Greenville for the real estate. I moved for the quality of life and then saw, and some of what part of what attracted me to Greenville was this kind of growth and vitality. So certainly the population growth is there. The job growth is there. When you're driving around town, how many homes are being renovated? How many big cranes are in downtown putting up 10-story buildings? You can kind of get a feel. Is there an energy and a vitality in a market? You can tell if there's capital being invested in the market. Uh, so I think boots on the ground, you get a very visceral sense of what's going on. And in Greenville, it rings very true. Um and all the data checkpoints that we covered apply in Greenville. And um, it continues to grow in the eight years we've been here. Uh, the growth has accelerated. COVID has not really slowed it down. There are two $1 billion projects currently underway. So it's really a fascinating place. And again, I'm fortunate to be here. Somehow I just end up in places that 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 are vital and, and vibrant. Did you join any mentorship program? Uh yes, I did. So um and I am I free to name names or yes. would you prefer to keep it general? Okay. So um at the recommendation of the first general partner I invested with, a very well-known firm here in the Carolinas. Uh, initially, I thought I really wanted to focus on capital raise. And so I was recommended to Good Egg Investments, Annie and Julie. 
And uh, they were my first mentors. They went ahead and set up the platform, the branding, the social media, and so forth. So I have nothing but good things to say about them. They've done phenomenal in the capital raising business. Uh, So they were my first mentor. And then as it became apparent, I wanted to get more into the lead sponsor role as opposed to a capital raising uh, role. I mentored with uh, a young Australian guy, you may know, Reed Goosens, and uh, had the good fortune to be in a very small mentor program with him. It was me and three other mentees and him and one of his partner. And we had two hour Zoom meets with just the six of us every week for about four months. And we really developed a relationship. And of course, Reed's a great operator. And he actually KP'd on our first two deals. Uh, And uh, truth be told, he and I are now doing this bigger deal in Greenville. It's a 506C, so I can mention it. I don't want to get in trouble. So I've had two mentors and both have been valuable uh, in their own way. And I think it's the partnerships and relationships you get out of the mentoring as well as the content, but it's really the relationships that matter. That's true. And you get into the network of that people, you know, which is the best thing of the mentorship program. So earlier you were talking about networking as well. You mentioned that you love networking. So share with me um, some techniques or some network groups that work for you that you would recommend. Yeah, so so, um, I'm kind of co-host of the local MFIN meetup here in Greenville, South Carolina. My partner, Ben Jones, uh, kind of operates it, and I come in as a kind of a commentator. So an MFIN monthly meetup group. Um, There's another association here called Upstate Commercial Real Estate Association. Greenville's in the upstate of South Carolina. And then, of course, on social media, I'm in a variety of real estate groups, um, also working with Brian Briscoe in the the Titan community. And so uh, there, you know, you can find your way around through social media and 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 you can develop networks that way. The other thing that I've had the pleasure to do the, for the first time was attend a couple in-person conferences. So in February, I was at Best Ever, where I think the year I signed up, COVID hit, so it was virtual, and somehow I missed the next year. And then earlier, a month ago in June, there was the MFIN conference in Charlotte. And so the in-person conferences are great. And what really that allowed me to do was people who I connected with over Zoom over the last year, year and a half, I could finally go have dinner with them, you know, and have a cocktail. and you know, that just helps bond and you really get a good sense. So I've already signed up for both. I'll be back out in Utah. I imagine you may be there. And if you're not too busy, we'll meet. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I would love that. So what one thing that you will suggest or share with my audience 
when you're going to all these conferences or the networking sessions, how can you build the stronger relationships after that? Uh, you need kind to of keep... aftermath, kind of yes, the yes. of the conference and the networking session. Yes, precisely. And a lot of times, including me, people drop the ball. Exactly. So, so, so it it's about some conscious follow through, um, and 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 you know when you meet ten people, when you meet ten people, you may really hit it off with five, and maybe two or three just aren't your cup of tea. It doesn't doesn't mean they're bad. You just don't connect. So I pick your best five that you really kind of vibed with, to use that word. Uh, and follow through, maybe have a monthly call with them. And then I would say is if you have the opportunity to be in their area or vice versa, then meet up with them again face-to-face and just kind of build that relationship. Let each other know what you're doing um, on this current raise we're doing. I've brought on maybe two or three capital partners that I met at Best Ever. And you just meet, you kind of hit it off, you connect, you follow up, you talk to them about your market, what they're doing, what you're doing, and you can usually find a way to kind of help each other. That's good. So what is your current focus? Uh, My current focus is to continue to do more syndication deals, uh, continue to scale up into larger syndication deals. And I think at this point, I've really kind of found my niche. Uh, It's where I've got my competitive advantage. And so I'm really focused on Greenville, South Carolina. It's not a huge market. The county's 500,000 people. The entire upstate's maybe a million. But I think I've just kind of found my groove where it's a market I know well. It's a market that uh, a lot of good economic and population growth is happening, and I expect it to continue. Uh, So that's kind of going to be my focus. And this current deal, uh, 281 units, is by far the largest I've been involved in. Maybe not quite 10x, but certainly 5x. And so that's quite exciting. And I'm looking forward to learning a lot. I guess the other thing I would say is the advice is always go big as soon as you can. And I'm an old school guy, so I don't know that that's quite right. I tend to like to go more step by step and build the foundation because when you're asking people to invest their money, you need to be confident and you need to be sure you know what you're doing. And I think you only gain that with experience. So I think you can make steady progress, build a secure foundation, and progress steadily over time, as opposed to going from a 10-unit building to a 300 building. So this is a big step for me, and so I look to kind of continue it. Yeah, hey, uh, slow and steady wins the race, anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so share one golden nugget with my audience. Um So people are a little bit afraid now. They're concerned about interest rates. They're concerned about uh, the economy. And I would just say real estate's a long-term game. And you can still invest no matter what the market conditions are. And the only thing I would suggest the nugget is use leverage properly, right? Don't over leverage. Use leverage properly and have ample cash reserves. 
Because if you do those two things, you can always ride out a little temporary thing. And in 47 years in the business, 44 years, my experience has been five or six years of boom, a year or two of turbulence, five or six more years of boom. And as long as you can ride out the turbulence, you're going to win. And so I think that's the key. Proper leverage, good cash reserves. That's the nugget. I love that. That's awesome. So this brings us to our vibe rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you five questions, spontaneous. So you're going to answer in one word or one sentence only. Ready? Okay. All right. What is one of the best skills that you have learned over the years that works for you all the time? Recognizing what I don't know. I love that. Oh, my God. That's a really winner. Uh, What is the best book that you have read or recommend? Uh, In terms of life, I would say The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's about being in the present moment. There's no problems. If you can stay focused in the present, you're going to be okay. Yeah, I love that book, too. That's how you create your destiny. Being in the present moment. <laughs> yes. What is your biggest passion? Uh, I love playing golf. So it's either golf and real estate or real estate and golf. It's one of the two. So they're one and two or one A and one B, but uh, I love playing golf and I love doing real estate. Yeah. In one word, what does life mean to you? Fun. Great. If you got a chance to change something in your life, you get a chance to go back and change something, what would it be? Uh, I'm not one to really look back, but uh, maybe I would have moved into commercial real estate sooner because I'm having so much fun doing it more than I did in residential. Yeah, I like that. Everybody says that. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> I had that 30 years ago. Uh, how can people reach out to you? Sure. So uh, the name of my company is Spark Investment Group. My email is arn at investwithspark.com. And you can find me on social media too. So I'm pretty easy to track down. Uh, happy to talk real estate anytime. Happy to help any way I can. Thanks for coming to my show, Arn. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. And I look forward to maybe seeing you face-to-face here soon. Of course. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. As promised, we have a free ebook for you. Seven reasons why real estate syndication build long-term wealth. Please go to our website, www.lumbainvest.com to download your free copy today. See you next week with another awesome guest.